Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Let's uh, return to the book of Genesis. This will be our last sermon in Genesis this calendar year. We'll begin a short series, uh, a short Advent series uh, leading up to and including Christmas Eve uh, starting next Sunday. But today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I will prepare you in advance, just warn you a little bit. It's a little dark at the beginning of this sermon, but we do get to some hope. And this morning, there are just some things that I can't slow down because of my sensitivity to your time and the other things you have planned today. I can't slow down and uh, dig into each of these ideas as much as I'd like to. But if you crave some more of that type of information or uh, you'd like to be able to take a look at some of the resources, books that I've read or commentaries that I've consulted or perhaps other sermons or podcasts that I've uh, studied in preparation for the message, you can just uh, scan that QR code and it'll bring you up to a file that you can download that has a whole study guide that I prepared for you for today so you can have a little bit more detail. But Genesis chapter 3, last week we looked at the origin of sin, this week we're going to look at the consequences of sin. Tuesday of this week I had an unusual experience. Our six-year-old came home from school and said something to me he has never ever, ever said to me before. He gets through the door and he's like, Dad, can you please take me back to school tonight? I, I, you know, I took his temperature and I checked to make sure he was all right. Like, he never asks for me to take him back to school. Now, in the morning, sometimes he has to be persuaded to go to school, but he comes to the door and he's like, Dad, can you please take me back tonight? I said, why in the world would I take you back to school tonight? And he opened up his book pack and he put his backpack and he pulled out something that looked familiar to me and took me back to my youth. It was a bifold newspaper-like advertisement for something called the book fair. Roberta, is this speaking to your heart today, the book fair? Now, when I went, I went to public school growing up, New Franklin Elementary School. Any, of course not. Um, no other alumni in the room from New Franklin Elementary School. Um, we were going to bond there for a moment. We had a thing called the book fair. Did any of you have book fair? Okay. It was this thing where they'd fill up your library with all kinds of books. The Scholastic Book Company would come in and they'd bring in all these books and they'd send home these little, these little flyers and they'd encourage kids to circle all the books you want, hand it to your parents, make them cough up the money, hand you cash, and then you'd go back to school and you would shop to your heart's content. Well, my six-year-old had circled the books that he wanted. He said, Dad... You little turkey. Like, so. <laughs> so, of course, Tuesday night, we went back to school. And we went to the book fair, and it brought back all kinds of memories. Um, he went through, and he hunted out a couple books. I told him the amount of books that he could get, and he got those books. Now, when I went to school, my parents would give me five bucks, and I could shop all day. There was nothing in there for $5. It was like $19, $22. This one had a Lego set with it. That one, I'm like, what in the world? Books have changed. I'm like, <laughs> but I remembered the very first book I ever bought at the book fair. It was a little red paperback book for 99 cents. And I think I probably liked it because it was the cheapest one. It was called Aesop's Fables. Have any of you ever heard of Aesop and the Fables? They're old like ancient old but it was a little paperback book that was filled with lots of stories 
it was lots of individual stories. The one I remember most is the story of the tortoise and the hare. You remember the race? And the, every fable had a moral to the story. And now they weren't connected. They were disconnected. They all had a moral. And the moral of that story I still remember. Slow and steady wins the race. Not always true. I liked it because I was slow. But I mean, it's not always true. Sometimes slow and steady comes in ninth. But it, that was the moral of the story. Aesop's fables, was, it was one book filled with lots of individual stories that all had their own moral to them. And I want you to know that's one of the most popular modern ways people describe this book. That it is filled with little stories, each of which maybe contain a good moral or some good advice about how to live, but they're disconnected. That is not what the Bible is. The Bible is primarily a unified book that tells one story through the prism of many different authors and many different stories, but it tells one big story. It tells about where the world came from, what went wrong, and how God is going to fix it. What is he going to do about it? That's what this book primarily tells us about. And Genesis chapter 3 is like ground zero for this transition for where the world came from. And it shows us what went wrong and what God intends to do about it. Have you at least recognized there's something wrong with the world? I... I went into a middle school this week. I won't say which one because some of you have kids in there. I do too. I went in to pick up one of my kids to sign him out for the dentist. I had gotten through the second door, right? I'd buzzed in and proved who I was. and It's what it has to be. When I was a kid, there was nothing like that at all. I had gotten through the second door the day after the police had been called to the school and we all got that fun email, didn't we? Um, Got through the second door when three middle schoolers walked in front of me and of the 20 words I heard them say, I couldn't repeat to you 10 of them this morning in public. And some of you are thinking, I bet your son was one of them. He was not. (laughs) He wasn't one of them. Um, And I just had this moment again of just, man, there's something wrong with our world. Genesis 3 shows us what it is. Genesis 3 records the darkest events in human history because everything broken in our world and in our relationships is a result of Genesis chapter 3. And so today we're going to look at what's wrong with the world and what's God going to do about it. But before Genesis 3 is Genesis 2, and I know last Sunday was business meeting Sunday, and I, for some reason I didn't see most of you last week, and that's okay, but let me just refresh your uh, memory just a little bit. In Genesis chapter 2, Moses records God made Adam first. Ha <laughs> ha. Should we dance around that this morning? God made Adam first before he made Eve. God made Adam first. He made Adam from, you remember? The dust of the ground. Men, we're made from dirt. He made him from the dust of the ground and then God started giving Adam stuff. First, he gave him a home. Ladies, before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a place. He gave him a home, he gave him the garden. Then you know what he gave him? Gave him a job. What was his job? To cultivate and protect the garden. 
Not just to work the ground, but to be productive. To take the ground and make something out of it. Men, we are called not just to work, but to be productive. Interesting. He set him in the garden to work the ground and to watch over. Hebrew word for protect. Why did God ask Adam to protect something where it was all good? Interesting foreshadowing, isn't it? He gives him a house. He gives him a job before he gives him a wife. <laughs> Bible says, no finance, no romance, fellas. Pastor, that's not very popular. Not trying to be popular, just trying to be biblical. Gives him a home, gives him a job, gives him his word. Adam, live it up. Eat from anything that you want. Except this one tree, don't eat from that or you'll die. Adam heard that and what we found out last week was he relayed that to Eve, but he relayed it inaccurately. He related to Eve and she repeated it back to the serpent. We can eat from any tree except for that one. We can't even touch that one. Well, God didn't say that. Where did she get that idea? From Adam. Well, where did Adam get it? His own heart had a different view of God, made him more restrictive. God showed him everything he could do, and that wasn't enough. Adam had to emphasize what we couldn't do and had to add a condition onto it that God didn't put there. And he believed that and made her vulnerable. But God made Adam first. He made him first from the dust of the ground. Then he gave him a house, gave him a job, gave him his word. And what we see is that God wanted Adam to be responsible. Why did he make Adam first? Why man first? Why not men and women at the same time? He made him first not because he was the best. He made Adam first not because he loved him more. He wasn't first in power. He wasn't first in, in importance. He was first in responsibility. Because the one who comes first is responsible for the ones who come thereafter. I have two boys. One's older than the other one. They didn't pick who came out first. But there are times when my wife and I will say to the oldest one, all right, we're going to do such and such. You're responsible for your brother. Why am I responsible for him? Because you came out first. Adam was first in order and first in responsibility. And God set him up to be a cultivator of and a protector of everything else that he would give him. God intends men to be responsible for their home, to be responsible for their jobs, responsible for our wives, and responsible for our children. Not to domineer them, not to dominate them, not to control them, but to cultivate and love and protect and to transfer to them the word of God. And we will be responsible for that. Well, they're responsible for their own decisions. Yes, but they will not answer for your responsibilities. The Bible will differentiate slightly between being male and being a man. And we see in this chapter, Adam was absolutely a male, but in terms of fulfilling his responsibility as a man, he failed multiple times. But God did see that Adam was alone, and so he said, that's not good. Let me make a helper who is just right for him. And we talked last week in detail about what just rightness meant. What did he need a helper for? Well, he 
The Bible says very clearly. First of all, one of God's expectations of humans was that they would do what? Multiply and fill the earth with people, with little images. Adam couldn't do that by himself. We won't go back to sixth grade biology and terrify you all over again. But he couldn't do that by himself. He needed a helper for that. If you go back to Genesis 1, God also made it clear that man needed woman to be his helper to lead and to govern creation. God created women with equality in mind to come alongside the man, come alongside her husband to lead and to govern. So he took one of Adam's ribs. He made man from dirt. He makes woman from man, a rib close to his heart. He brought Eve to Adam, and Adam was really happy with this. He sings songs to her. At last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. I didn't even know that this is what I wanted, but this is just right. Boy, the tune changed in chapter 3, didn't it? The song changed. Adam was now responsible to Eve to cultivate her life, to protect her, to transfer knowledge to her from God, and to lead alongside her in filling the earth and governing creation. It was good for a while. And then we meet the upright, walking, talking, crafty, cunning, shrewd serpent under Satan's control. He approaches the happy couple in the garden to tempt them to sin. And who does the serpent direct his question to? Adam and Eve. Now, make no mistake about it, he was after Adam and Eve, but he sensed Adam's vulnerability and that he could get to Adam through his wife. He sensed his wife, he might have a weakness in his heart, a passive leadership style that will allow his wife to control him. So he goes after Eve to get to Adam, and he senses vulnerabilities in Eve. There's two vulnerabilities she has. Number one, she has an inaccurate, not fully formed understanding of God's word. Secondly, she has a spiritually passive husband. And he exploits those vulnerabilities. And coming to her, we went into it in great detail last week he directs his questions to her and um, he convinces her with just a few moments number one that God's word is subject to our judgment and interpretation God's word doesn't tell us what to do we hear God's word and then we decide what it means did God really say that what do you think about what God really said he couldn't have really meant that literally second he made her forget about the consequences of sin listen you're not going to die if you do this. Forget about the consequences. Third, he wanted her to see the benefits awaiting her. This is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing that a bad God doesn't want you to have. There's just pleasure. God is too restrictive. Being a Christian would just hold you back. You won't be able to travel on Sundays anymore. You'll feel guilty about what you spend your money on. You're going to have to wrestle with what you listen to and what you watch. You're going to have to clean up your conversation. There's different places you can't go or people you can't pursue uh, look at the benefits of living this way. And then ultimately he got her to see God as a restrictive, controlling user of scare tactics to keep us from pleasure. And so in her vulnerabilities, like we learned last week, Eve is deceived. 
She sees the beautiful, delicious fruit. She wants what it has. She takes it. She eats it. And she doesn't die right away, at least physically. Then Adam, the responsible cultivator, protector, and conveyor of God's word to his wife, who was with her the whole time, Moses records. Who could have at any point set up and said, ah, 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 Eve, we're not talking to him. Or, ah, 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 Eve, that's not what God said. This is what God said. Ah, 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 Eve, I know it looks good, but not, not our will, his will. At any point, he could have done that. He doesn't. And not only that, we get a clue later. We get a clue later, though it's not in the first part. It is in what God says later on. God says to Adam later on, because you listen to your wife, you're cursed. So she said something. She gives him the fruit, he takes the fruit, and she says something, and what she says contradicts what God says, but Adam is more concerned about pleasing his wife and not confronting and correcting than he is about adhering to God, so he takes and he eats. And both of their eyes are opened, and the world doesn't look better, it looks worse. And so in their shame, the first thing they do is it says they were ashamed of their nakedness. And so what do they do? They start ripping leaves off of trees and making clothes. We'll get to this later. What happens when you rip a leaf off a tree? Yeah, it dies quickly. Not really a successful way to cover yourself up. Because when you commit to covering yourself up, you've committed to a lifetime effort. Of covering it up and patching it together and then it falls off. You've got to cover up and patch up some more and it falls off. You've got to cover up and patch up some more and it falls off. You can't disconnect God's goodness from the tree and expect that it's going to cover your nakedness. It's not going to work. So what happens next? Let's pick up the story here because I've got to move with, with haste this morning. Genesis 3, 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God, who I just want to remind you is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. Then the Lord God calls to the man, where are you? Did God know the answer to this question? We'll come back and why, so why does he ask the question, we'll come back to that. Adam replied, well, I heard you walking in the garden and so I hid. I'm in my feelings. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? What is the right answer here for Adam? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? What should, what's the right answer? Yes, I did as you say, and I regret it, and I'm sorry. Here's what he says instead. It's an admission, but not really. It was the woman. Uh-oh. Listen, if he's going to multiply and fill the earth, this ain't the way to start it off, buddy. Wasn't this just the woman a few verses ago? Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. At long last, God has brought you into my life. And now, it was the woman you gave me. How many times have you blamed God, your bad mood, on that job? It was that job you gave me. Well, didn't you beg God for that job some time ago? 
Why are you in such a bad mood? Oh, my car. Lord just needs to deliver me from this car. It's got, well, didn't you ask him for that car? We do the same thing. First, it's, oh, it's God's blessing. And then the moment that blessing doesn't make you feel the way you want to feel, it's expendable because it doesn't enhance your life. It was a woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. God, you can't hold me responsible. It was this woman. You gave me this woman. So actually, God, you're kind of responsible here. Then the Lord God asked the woman. It's interesting. Who does he start the questioning with? The responsible one. He doesn't say, Eve, you get out here first. He talks to Adam first because Adam's responsible for himself and he's responsible for his family. Adam and Eve are equally culpable for disobeying God and eating the fruit that he told them not to. Adam is additionally responsible for failing in his role as the head of his house. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Now she gives a better answer. What should she have said? What have you done? I ate from the tree you told me not to and I regret it. Here's what she says. The serpent deceived me, that's why I ate it. So she says I ate it. That's true. She wants to blame the snake. So Adam's listening to the woman. Woman's listening to the serpent. Nobody's listening to God. Let's keep reading. Oh, it gets so much better and lighter here. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, he's going to deal with people in the reverse order of their responsibility, least to greatest. Says to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you will see the first gospel presentation in the scripture. It's not John 3.16, it's Genesis 3.15. In this, God will demonstrate to us that he is going to initiate a war that will culminate in the reconciliation and redemption of man. Verse 15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring. He, this offspring, someone who's going to be one of Adam and Eve's descendants, that man will strike the head of the serpent and crush him. But in that battle, the serpent won't strike the head of the man, but the heel of the man and deliver a death blow to the man who strikes the head of the serpent. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you'll give birth. Question, what was one of woman's purposes that God put into place. Be fruitful and multiply. The woman plays a critical, irreplaceable role in that. And what he's saying is, from now on, you'll still be able to perform your purpose, but not without pain. Anytime you chase after God's purposes, and I know most of you are, let me just tell you something you already know. You won't experience God's purposes without going through some pain. It's part of this. I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you'll give birth. And this is chilling right here. This next statement is chilling. You will desire to control your husband. Here you see the beginning of the gender wars. He says to Eve, I recognize in you a desire to control Adam. And I'm going to amplify that. So that you and womankind have a desire to control man and mankind to not be dominated by them and in response here's what adam will do and mankind they will rule over you the word dominate 
That's not a compliment. What he's describing here is that the man's response to the fear or the unwillingness to be controlled by a woman will result in domination and domineering. And so you have the gender wars. The man whose heart says, I must domineer over women lest they control me. And the woman whose heart said, I will not be domineered, I must control them. And around and around and around the cycle goes. Pastor, this is controversial. It's not really, it's just biblical. It just explains where this came from. Why do we see all this in the world? Well, here's the answer. Because of sin. Because of the curse. Let's finish out the chapter. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife. Some of you are thinking, I'm banking this. Lord, I, I, must, I must have listened to my wife again. That's why you're not. No. Since you listened to your wife, which indicates that there's something she must have said that we don't know what it was. But he says, you listened to her. And you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you, Adam, not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. Your work will become more complex and less satisfying. All your life, you'll struggle. Why do we struggle? Part of the curse. To scratch a living from the ground. It will now grow thorns and thistles for you, though you'll still be able to eat for its grains, of its grains. Let's keep going. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. This is fun. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. You hear that at graveside committal services. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, which I wish I had time here. Why at this point? Did they not have names up to this point? He says, then he named her Eve. He named his wife. Everything else is uncomfortable. That's even more uncomfortable. Because this is not something we practice today. Parents name their kids. Husbands don't name their wives. This was an exceptional circumstance. We'll leave that where it is. You can read the notes. I need to get out of here to my car safely at the end of the day because she would be the mother of all who live and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You want to know where the hope in this whole story is? Verses, verse 15 and verse 21. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You might not see the hope there. I'll help you here in just a moment. Let's finish out the chapter. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us. They know both good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they'll live forever in their broken state. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Verse 24, after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I know many YouTubers are like, let's go find the Garden of Eden. I'd highly recommend you not to look for it. Just, God put, if it can be found, and you can dig deep into the rabbit hole on this, doesn't make any difference to the Bible's content, but if it can be found, um, I wouldn't try and get in there because there are angels with flaming swords flashing back and forth, not protecting God from us, but protecting us from God. And that ends that. Since I don't have much time this morning, let's go right to it. Let's put on our seatbelts and let's go for it. Here's the reality. We are radically relational creatures, we human beings. We need relationships. That's why the most cruel punishment you can give someone is put them in solitary confinement. We need relationships. We need them differently. 
Some of us need a lot. Some of us need a few. We were made for relationship with God. We were made to, be re- to have a healthy relationship with ourself. Some of you have arguments with nobody, just you. You ever like pull up next to someone at the streetlight and they're in a full-blown argument with themselves? Have you been that person? Yeah, your hands are coming up. <laughs> Linda raised her hand. Sometimes I'm in my office and I hear you and Linda arguing, Linda. <laughs> and Linda always wins. We need to have a healthy relationship with ourselves. We're made to have a healthy relationship with others and a healthy relationship with our world and with nature. Here's what I want you to see. Sin destroyed all of those. Sin destroyed our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and our relationship with nature. And if the story ended right there, this would be a bleak story. But Genesis 3 also shows us what God has done about it. So here's the big idea. The bad news. And I'm like, if there's good news and bad news, I'm going to give me the bad news first guy. Here's the bad news. Sin destroys Every single relationship. The good news, God has done something about it. Praise the name of Jesus. So let's look at this real quick. Number one, sin destroys our relationship with God. After Adam and Eve ate, their eyes were opened. They're ashamed. They grabbed leaves off the tree. They stitched together some crude bathing suits to cover the private parts. Got to ask you this question and we'll come back. I want to plant a seed. Who were they hiding from with their clothes? Not God. He wasn't there yet. They hid behind trees when God came. They were hiding from each other. Because the moment their eyes were opened, they said, I can't be transparent with others anymore. If they see who I really am, I will lose my control and influence over how they think about me. And so since then, you and I have been stitching fig leaves together to control how other people think about us lest they know who and how we really are and we lose the control and the power in the relationships. Sin destroys our relationship with God. God came in the cool of the day walking in the garden. This is how he shows up after the fall. Now, I grew up in a little trailer, a little mobile home, we called them back in the day. Five of us, mobile home. Twelve steps behind the church that my dad pastored. I could tell by listening to the footsteps of my parents how they were coming. The pace of the steps, the sound on the ground, I knew whether they were coming in peace, coming with treats, or coming in judgment. Did any of you know the steps of your parents like that? I want you to notice the steps of God when he comes to the garden. He does not come with fire and brimstone. He comes in the cool of the day looking to take a walk. Now, in Hebrew, walking meant an additional thing. It doesn't mean in English. Hebrew, to walk, did mean to ambulate around one foot in front of the other. But in Hebrew, when you, when it, in the Bible, when it says so-and-so walked with so-and-so, that meant friendship. That's how they described friendship. They walked together. God came on the heels of the fall of man looking for friendship that he had lost. That's what God lost when you and I sinned. He lost friendship with us. And when he comes to the garden, he doesn't come in fire and brimstone looking to pull them out so he can execute Adam and Eve on the spot. 
he comes looking for reconciliation to restore. He didn't want to be walking alone in the garden. He wanted to be walking with his friends. But sin destroyed that part of our relationship. Sin and death are linked together. The Bible has that the whole way through. Every time we sin, the wage is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The what of sin? Wages. Wages are what we deserve. Amen? If your check is short, you're in HR that day. Hey, I worked X amount of hours at this rate, and it's short. These are my wages. This is what I deserve. Give me what I deserve. Now, we're not as fast when they overpay us. We're like, that's the blessings of God. The wages are what we deserve. What we deserve is sin. The Bible links sin and death all through the Bible. In the book of James, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Adam and Eve ate from the tree and God said they would surely die, but they're not dead yet. So is God a liar? No. He's not a liar. And I will tell you, death is in this story. God was prepared to bring death as a result of their sin. And we'll see that, but sin destroys our relationship with God because no longer do we want to run into God's presence. Now we want to do what? We want to hide from God. We want to hide from it. Now, interestingly enough, where did Adam and Eve hide? You have to see this. Where did they hide? Behind the trees. Now, who made the trees? Who made the trees? God, how did he make them? He made them good. Adam and Eve were hiding from God behind good things that he made. You could be sitting right here in church this morning hiding from God in the good thing that he made. Because you don't want him to really deal with you, so your way, let me hide behind the blessings of God. Let me hide behind the goodness of God. If I just do enough good things, why you don't want to face God? I'm afraid of him. Why? Because if he knew who I really was, He'd get me. He'd punish me. He'd curse me. God is always holding me back from good. I talk to people who call themselves Christians all the time who go on and on and on. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Praise Jesus. But can't really do what I want to do on Sundays because we have church. And I can't really watch what I want to watch on this because I'm a Christian. And, you know, I really like my friends are having this party this weekend. But there's going to be a lot of alcohol there. And I just don't know if I should be... God, God's always the one holding you back from the better life. That's how the world views God now. Religion is too narrow, too restrictive. It's all about not eating from which trees. It's destroyed our relationship with God. We view him through a broken lens now. There's more to be said. I got to move on. Second thing, it destroys our relationship with ourselves. What was the first emotion that Adam and Eve experienced after their eyes were opened. They felt what? Shame. Shame is like a malignant tumor that eats away at how you view yourself. Now, shame and guilt are different. Guilt is feeling bad about something that I have done. Shame is feeling bad about something I think I am. 
And what sin hides from you is shame. It doesn't tell you that after the experience has worn off and that pleasure is gone and whatever it was supposed to deliver, what it, it leaves shame and emptiness there. You just, in your heart, there's a badness you feel, not just about what you've done, that guilt, but there's something you feel about something that you are. I am unclean. I am holy. I am naked. And my nakedness has to be covered up. And so the very first thing we see is that Adam and Eve's relationship with one another, that a chapter earlier was all songs and nakedness and running around the garden, living life to the full. The first thing they need to do is cover up their nakedness from each other because they can't let the other person see who they really are. They've decided to have reputation management. And what sin did is it flipped around the way relationships are supposed to work in our lives. The way God intended Adam and Eve's relationship is my life to enhance yours. That's servanthood. And we look at relationships not about what we can extract from that relationship, but how can my life enhance that person's relationship? That's who Christ was. That's who we intended Adam and Eve to be. That's who we intended us to be. But what happened because of the sin is you see it right out of the gate. It flip-flopped. It flip-flopped. And now it was your life to enhance mine. Shame. And so they, they took the fig leaves and they tried to cover up their nakedness. When God comes to Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? Question, did God know where, where Adam was? Why did he ask him then? Here's why. Every time God asks you questions, it's not for him to gain information he doesn't know. God's questions always promote our self-examination. He wants you to tell you the truth about you and his presence. That's why he asked him. He wanted to give Adam an opportunity to tell the truth about himself to God. God comes as a counselor. That's what good counselors do. They don't, they don't tell you. They ask you questions to help you draw out from your own words what's wrong with you to get to the bottom of it so that you can hear you tell it. You can't be intimate with anybody else until you're intimate with yourself. And this is what happened. It destroyed that because Adam, even when God asked him, Adam, where are you? I'm in my feelings right now. I'm afraid. I hid. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? He could not bring himself to confess that. Because of shame. And that's what sin does. It destroys our relationship with ourselves. Let me, I'll, let me just read. I actually don't, don't have time. You can read in your notes. Number three, it destroys our relationship with others. Number three, sin destroys our relationship with others. Verses 12 and 13 and verse 16. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? God asked. The man replied, it was the woman who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. He does say, I ate it, but it's at the very, 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 very end of the sentence. Why is it that our relationship with others is so broken that for some of us, just saying, I'm sorry, can't ever come out of our mouths? Instead of Eve's Instead of Adam's relationship to enhance his wife's, he says, I'll throw her under the bus to protect me. I'll throw her under the bus. 
Why? Because either me or her going under the bus, it ain't going to be me. It's going to be her. Why are we like that? No one teaches us how to do that. My boys, no one taught them how to do this. But as soon as a sibling came along, it made it easier for the older one to try and get out of taking responsibility. You hear screaming from the basement. You go down there, you're already, you're going to conduct a trial. You're going to have two hostile witnesses with no corroborating testimony. One's bleeding from the arm. How's that happening? He bit me. Did you bite him? Well, he sat on me. Did you sit on him? Yeah, well, he poked me. Well, he looked at me. Well, he didn't look at me. Well, he said, na 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 Well, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. I have the... What you never get is, I did it and I'm sorry. Why? 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 Because of sin. Sin says the worst possible thing is for other people to see my guilt and own it because once they know I'm guilty, I lose all power. I lose control. I'm now subject to whatever punishment comes along. I lose control of the story. And I can't have that. It destroys our relationship with others. And I do need to mention this. It's also the origin of the gender wars. In Genesis 3, God told Eve he would amplify her desire to control her husband. We see this curse in operation today in women who treat men with a controlling spirit by withholding their respect, by either withholding their affection or using affection as leverage to get action, by withholding their compliance, their submission, their trust, and their cooperation in order to assert their control. But God also told Adam he would amplify Adam's desire to rule over and dominate his wife rather than love her and lead her to rule her. I'm the king of this house. We see the curse in operation today in men who treat women with a domineering spirit. Physical abuse. Emotional abuse. Sexual abuse, violence, withholding love, subduing women. And this is the gender war that goes round and round and round. Because you see, when women are treated by men with a domineering spirit, their response is disrespect and control, usually. When men feel from a woman, be it their wife or another woman, that they're trying to control that man... He generally responds with a domineering spirit. Paul broke it down this way in the New Testament. He says, here's what makes marriage back to the original plan. Husband loves your wives as, as, as Christ loved the church, and women respect your husbands as one who must give an account. And what Paul says is this. If a husband truly commits his life to loving his wife and loving his wife and loving her perfectly like Christ loved the church to cultivate her, to protect her, what it releases in her is a response, and that response is respect. And what it also tells us is that when a husband feels the respect of his wife, it doesn't release a domineering spirit, it releases love from his heart. And that is the cycle that's supposed to make these relationships work in a healthy way. But the reverse also works. When, when a man, when a husband is treated disrespectfully, be it from a woman or another, listen, another man can tell me he doesn't love me, I'll sleep tonight, but if he disrespects me, a whole different emotion comes out of me. When a woman's treated unlovingly by her husband, 
she generally responds disrespectfully. And when he receives disrespectful treatment, he responds unlovingly and it goes that way. Why? Sin, it's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. Part of the curse. Number four, because this is so good and we gotta get to the end. <laughs> Sin destroys our relationship with nature. I won't go too deep into this. There's more in your notes. But just to, to show you that the way that God lands us all is that it also ruined our relationship with the world around us. We were supposed to lead and rule over creation, work the ground, and the ground would respond in kind. And it doesn't anymore. We have this new relationship with dust. Way back in the day, there was a lady named Irma Bombeck. Do any of you know that name? She was a humorist. Let me read what she wrote about dirt. You know, my life is dominated by dirt. At, the, at this end of the house, there's dirt. There's dirt in the bathroom. Dirt's on the plate in the kitchen. Dirt in the rug. So I work to get rid of the dirt. And by the time I get to the other end of the house, the first end of the house is dirty again. It never ends. And in the end, after all these years of struggling against dirt, struggling against dirt, what do I get? Six feet of dirt. <laughs> Destroys our relationship with nature. But let's end on some hope. What did God do about this? Three things. First of all, he showed mercy. Second, he provided them a better covering. And third, he sent another Adam. This is what God did. When he came walking in the cool of the day, he didn't come to simply execute Adam and Eve. What he did is he gave both Adam and Eve an opportunity to tell the truth about themselves to themselves in his presence. He didn't come to execute them. He came to try and reconcile the relationship. Was he still the judge? Absolutely. He also came with a plan for the punishment. He didn't drive them out of hiding. He drew them out of hiding. He didn't kill them physically, but he pursued their redemption. He showed mercy. I can't confess to God this morning because then I'm going to give him leverage to do bad things to me. He has already doled out your punishment. He's trying to reconcile the relationship. Can you grab that this morning? If I confess all these things to God, surely he'll punish me. Surely he has already punished you. But someone else took it. There's no punishment left for you unless you choose to have it. You can choose instead to receive payment that's already been made on your account, on your behalf, by somebody else. Well, how can you be so sure? Because God provided Adam and Eve a better covenant, covering. Adam and Eve had these fig leaves that they take off the tree and eventually dry off and get itchy. And those are not the things. You don't want itchy leaves that are decaying to be your bathing suits. God gave them a better covering. What was the better covering made out of? Animal skins. Interesting. Those aren't just laying around. Animal skins are, skins are covering living animals. So what did God have to do to make them new clothes? Kill a couple animals. Let me ask you a question. What did those animals do wrong? nothing they were made good they didn't eat the fruit they weren't supposed to animals can't tell god no we're the only creatures that can do that so god kills two innocent animals why because he had to make coverings for the nakedness of these two people why because they disobeyed god and god said if you disobey me there will be death 
So what he actually does here is he establishes a pattern and a precedent that he is willing to accept the death of a perfect one to cover the unrighteousness of a sinful one. What he shows us here is that he is still being just because he said, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. They ate from the tree. They will surely die. But God opens up to us this part. He says, I will accept a substitute if they meet the criteria. Have to be perfect. So God is showing Adam and Eve that, yes, death still needs to happen. But these two innocent animals, or one innocent animal, or however many animals it was, I like to think it was a lamb, but I have no proof for that, had to die so that God could take the covering of the innocent and apply it to the body of the guilty so that the body could be holy again. Praise his name. Do you understand what he's showing us here? Do I have to walk it all out for you? This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the innocent animal that had done no wrong, that gave up his life so that his life can cover over our sins, that we can be redeemed and holy in his sight and have friendship again. God did that for us. We see that in Genesis. That is the gospel in the book of Genesis. We shouldn't read the Old Testament. Jesus, he's all over it. This whole chapter points to it. In fact, last point, he sent another Adam. He sent another Adam. The New Testament tells us this. In cursing the serpent, in Genesis 3, God predicts something. He says, serpent, I'm starting a war with you, and one of Adam's descendants is going to face you again. And in facing you, the last Adam, the next Adam, is going to step on your head and crush your head. Now you're going to strike his heel, and it will look like he died, and he will die. But he will triumph over you. In Genesis, God has already addressed the sin problem with the Jesus solution. He could have wiped the whole earth clean. What's wrong with the world? Sin. Why? Because we want to be like God. We want to know good and evil ourselves, and we don't want to be restricted from anything. We don't trust him enough. We don't want his friendship. What did God do in response to it? He sent another Adam. First Adam went into a garden, faced the serpent, and said to the serpent, Not thy will, but mine be done. Second Adam went into another garden of Gethsemane, faced the same temptation, said, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he passed the test. This person is Jesus Christ. The promised Messiah did face the test and he passed it. So our conclusion is this. The first Adam brought sin and death into the world. But Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, because we don't need another one, brought an end to the consequences of sin and death. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Well, pastor, it's not fair. It's not fair that because of Adam's sin, we have to know sin. That's not fair fair well then it's not fair that because of jesus's life you get life do you want what's fair or do you want what's gracious and merciful you want your wages or you want the gift the wages of sin is death the gift a gift is not something you earn i know our kids get it twisted they think that they're just they 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 deserve their gifts or what do we say you're not if you misbehave you're not getting any gifts in other words your performance dictates your gifts 
A real gift is something given without expectation of return, and it's not given based on merit. It's given based on the heart and the character of the giver. Wages of sin is death. Gift of God is eternal life. You get your choice. You want what you deserve, you want the wage, or you want the gift. Sign me up for the gift 100 times out of 100. How about you? It's a gift. It's a gift. Worship team, will you come? Let me pray over you this morning. We're out of time. Let's pray. Two groups of people here every week, those of you that are spiritually unresolved, meaning you're, if you died today and you stood before the Lord at judgment, your name would not be found in the Lamb's book of life. And then there's the other group of us that we are saved. We're on our journey of Christ-likeness. There's something in here for both groups this morning. First and foremost, maybe you're here today, or you're listening, or you're watching, and you are not saved. You're not right with God. You find yourself where Adam was, where Eve was, and it's not just their story. It's our story. This is how we've all fallen into sin. They were first, but we have followed Are you ready to retire shame today? Are you ready to stop hiding from God? Don't you deep in your heart of hearts want to know God, be right with him and enjoy him rather than being afraid of him, not knowing him for yourself, only knowing him through others, living through life, chasing fruit after fruit after fruit. And when it doesn't satisfy you, you gotta get fig leaf after fig leaf after fig leaf. Anything you can possibly do to keep, throw people off the trail, hide who you really are, control what people think. You ready to retire that today? That's not living. Living is being forgiven. Living is being okay with who you are and who you're not. Living is having durable peace, durable identity, durable hope that doesn't change as your feelings change or the, the political statements change. That doesn't change as your body ages and gains or loses beauty. It's rooted in a person who doesn't change, and that's Jesus. Do you believe you sinned? Do you believe that Jesus can save you? Do you believe he will save you if you ask? Will you acknowledge him as Lord and yourself as servant? If that's what you believe, that's all you have to believe because the Bible says we're saved by grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus alone. So what you must do this morning to be saved is simply confess what you believe to be true to Jesus. He will save you. You can tell him right now in your words. It's not a formula. It's not a checklist. It's just simply a confession of your heart of the truth. A confession that may sound like, Jesus, I've sinned, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. I receive from you forgiveness today as a gift. Not that I can earn it, but because you freely give it so that we can be friends again. I turn to you as the Lord and I'm gonna stop fighting you for your job. I surrender to you and I welcome your spirit to come live in me, to make me into the image of Jesus that I might think like Jesus, feel like Jesus, act and behave and love like Jesus. Thank you for saving me, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you are gloriously saved. You don't need to do another thing to be saved. Your journey in Christ-likeness begins now. I just encourage you 
I'm going to count to three. Would you be brave enough, happy enough, joyful enough that when I get to three, if you prayed that prayer, you just slip up your hand, make eye contact with me. I'll acknowledge you. You can put your hand right back down. Who prayed with me today? One, two, three. Who prayed with me this morning? Anybody at all? Heavenly Father, those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, lay our hearts before you again today. We're saved, but we recognize that while we're still in these bodies, we will still fight temptation from within us and outside of us. There are parts of our lives that need to be surrendered and controlled by you, surrendered to you, controlled by you, that we still fight you for. I pray that today we each leave here with a humble and tender heart in your presence to take responsibility and ownership. I pray for the men of this room to not just be male, but to be the real men that you've called us to be. People of your word, people of responsibility, people who cultivate and protect and lead all that you bring to us. Not so we can dominate or control, but so that we can demonstrate healthy responsibility to draw out the best and those around us and so that we can not feel like we have to hide from you when we answer to you for how we've lived. I pray for my sisters in this room, for the ladies, that you will help each lady to rest in the identity that you have gave to each one of them. Lord, I pray for those who have suffered abuse and hurt, unhealthy treatment from men. Lord, on behalf of all those men, I say we're sorry for that. That should not have happened. We seek your forgiveness for that. Lord, I pray that they would rest in who you've made them to be and that they would thrive in their calling, whatever that looks like in this world that you've given to all of us. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, We'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.